90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty well. Last minute, you know, syllabi adjustments and all that jazz. Getting ready to start class. A couple of places have already started class, so it seems really early, but yeah. That does. Yeah, yeah. We, we start next week, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I am in the future. Hmm. I am, I am an hour in the future from you right now. <laughs> oh, you used to be an hour behind in the past. Mm-hmm. Now you're an hour in the future. <laughs> yeah, I'm drifting slowly. I drifted through central time and now I'm in eastern again. <laughs> Do we need to go to the basement of our building and find that correction for you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I am actually doing, uh, an install this week. Mm -hmm. So I'm up in the New York city area, putting in some equipment. Uh, luckily it's mostly above freezing right now. <laughs> I was going to say you're really, you should be really sad. Um, because it's like 70 degrees today and there's some pretty awesome storms ripping through Arkansas right now. Not like, you know, bad deadly storms, but. Just exciting thunderstorms. So, sorry you're there. <laughs> well, I did, uh, <laughs> I did luckily miss, because I'm still here for a couple days, uh, miss the FAA snafu <gasps> that mm -hmm. happened today and canceled thousands of flights. Yes. So, my poor tech that's been working on the magnetometer got up super early because he didn't want to, he wanted to finish his work. You know, he was like, can I go into the building at like 5 a.m.? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem, right? So he's like, I need to get to the airport. I need to get to the airport. And then I texted him, I'm like, how's that going? <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was on my way out to go into the job this morning, and somebody was checking out, and... The, the desk person asked them if they were going to the airport. And they're like, yeah, why? Like, you might want to watch the news real quick. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I heard about it on the radio this morning coming in. And I was like, oh, what's happening in Oklahoma City? You know, I thought it was a local problem. And I was like, ooh, yikes. <laughs> so. Yep. Uh, on, the, on the pilot forums, people have been posting the, the image from airplane of where Johnny unplugs the runway lights <laughs> in the control tower. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so if you don't know what's happening, uh, you're not involved in the U.S. airspace system or weren't trying to travel this week, uh, the FAA NOTAM, which is Notices to Airmen system, went out, which pretty much meant if you were a commercial flight, once you landed, you weren't taking off again. Oh. And it was out for a number of hours. Yeah. Man. Like, we haven't had enough problems in the skies. <laughs> yep. But, yep. Well, I'm sure something else will happen because you have notoriously terrible luck so we'll see hey, i got rebooked three times coming up here oh boy <laughs> it was uh as my as my cfi would say it was cloudy enough the birds were walking uh, <laughs> when i was trying to get out of arkansas <laughs> and so i was delayed heftily getting out of arkansas they rebooked me onto another connection in a different city got to that city missed that connection rebooked me onto another one later that left late but i eventually got here <laughs> 16 Excellent. hours after I left. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. 
on a what would be like a three and a half hour flight. Cool. <laughs> yep. Well, I, I could have done it in my plane in less time. Yeah. Well, we'll hear all about <laughs> Going it. Going one sixth the speed. No kidding, and refueling twice, right? Like. <laughs> At least. <laughs> oh man. Well, hopefully you make it back in time next week, and we'll hear all about that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, while I'm up here. So I'm actually across the river from New York City proper. Okay. Uh, I've been to downtown New York City before. I'm probably not going to make it on this trip because it's a, a long ride over there. And to be honest, I'm pretty pooped by the time I get back. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Understandable. Uh, but I thought it'd be neat to talk about the geology of this area because when you think about New York City nobody's first reaction is like, I wonder what the geology is. <laughs> and so, so this is interesting to me because I don't, I do talk about, I don't talk about New York City's geology much, um, but I always talk about like Long Island. So it's interesting how different the geology is in and around here. When you sent your, your notes, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, all this stuff did happen. But I mean, have you been to Central Park? I sure have. Mm, yeah, so there's there's some outcrops there. I was very pleasantly surprised at my meanderings through Central Park <laughs> in terms of the rock situation. <laughs> yep. So the main things you can look out for up here are the Fordham Nice, the Heartland Formation, the Manhattan Schist, and the Inwood Marble. See, and I never got to see that one. I certainly saw a bunch of Manhattan schist. Um, and I will, I know we've talked about it before, but the Rocked app from the University of Wisconsin is spectacular for this. I certainly checked in at Central Park and got, um, got the scoop on, you know, where to go to see these. Um, I didn't realize that this Manhattan schist had some really big garnets though <laughs> yeah so i found a picture of they call it the subway garnet if you google <laughs> it you'll you'll find it yeah. uh, and it's this i mean what larger than softball size oh garnet? for sure it's it's yeah like in between a softball and like a volleyball probably it's a big boy <laughs> Or girl. It I is. Don't know. <laughs> and it was collected in 1885 at 35th and Madison Avenue. That's unbelievable. So probably, you know, they were making some building, right? And just uncovered it. Oh, it has beautiful, beautiful crystal symmetry, though. It's very nice. Um, yeah, I, I did not know that. And so you've got these. Do you remember what type of rocks these are, right? Metamorphic rocks. <laughs> yeah, so they're, that's, that's the weird thing. It's like schist, uh, the marble. Like, these are all metamorphics, which, I mean, to be honest, basically everywhere I've ever done geology, there's not any. <laughs> Or very, very little. Oh, I know. So, like, that's what, to be on the East Coast, or in the eastern part of the U.S., is so different than the place we, number one, grew up and and have done geology. And number two, there's a lot of vegetation here. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> so as you go east, there's so much vegetation. It's kind of hard to do geology. And for real, it is hard to do it in the summertime there because of all the vegetation. So yep. I'm... The most common formation in Pennsylvania is quaternary cover. See? Ex exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you really have to find these places where they're busting through a hillside with dynamite to build a road or something like that. Or in this case of New York City, I imagine a lot of this geology was done when they were build, building buildings and like leveling off the ground because there is a lot of um, not just quaternary, I mean, but around quaternary stuff there as well. I don't ever talk specifically about New York City like I said, so I hadn't read a bunch of this stuff, but this is all really messed up rocks and it's left over from building all the mountains out east, which was not in one big sweep. It was in numerous orogenic episodes. So we're talking, you know, at least a billion years of mountain building and probably more is recorded in some of those rocks up there. Yeah, so the the Fordham Nice is over one billion years old, mm -hmm. and the a lot of this happened. So you were making La Russia, mm -hmm. which eventually merged with Siberia, and things keep pushing together, and finally you get Gondwana. So in all of this collision, we're building mountains, like you said. And we get something that is a very appreciable mountain range. Yes. <laughs> on Pangea here, because New York was pretty close to the center of Pangea, which is kind of wild to think about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. So was yeah most of North America was, which is yeah very strange. Yeah, and so you get this mountain range that's comparable in height to the modern-day Himalayas. It's funny because, yes, there are mountains out there, but it's funny because in your mind, I mean, especially you, you lived up in the in the Valley and Ridge province, right? I mean, those are rolling mountains. They look old. They're, yeah, they're... They're shells of mountains. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, they're literally cores of mountains, right? They're the insides yeah. that have been, everything else has been eroded away. So it's really weird to think of the Appalachians looking like the Rockies or like the Himalayas, the pictures, like pointy, young, <laughs> sharp mountains. But that's exactly what they were a couple of times. <laughs> and when you put, you know, 12, 13, 14 kilometers of rock on top of other rock below it, that pressure gets high. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that pressure is what causes the metamorphic process to occur and how we get marble, gneiss, and schist up here in New York. It's so interesting to me to talk about metamorphism. I mean, I'm a sedimentary geologist, but just the fact that you can either or both apply pressure or temperature, and in this case, higher pressure, lower temperature, relatively, in the course of these mountain building episodes, that you can 
be high enough pressure to not turn the rock back into liquid, but high enough to rearrange atoms and form new minerals. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and so, so you do all of that when it's deep, and then over hundreds of millions of years, those mountains get eroded away, and you're left with this stuff that was the mountain roots back at the surface. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And those mountain roots are the ones, so in the middle of the Rockies, in the middle of the Himalayas, there's all metamorphic rocks. But maybe on the surface now, you definitely see this in the Rockies. You see this in the Himalayas. They're carbonate rocks at the top of Mount Everest. So those are the sedimentary covers that have been raised up while that mountain process has happened. And so in the eastern part of the U.S., all the sedimentary rocks have long been deposited in the valleys all around there. And what you're left with at that surface is new mineralization, this neo-metamorphism or neo-crystallization is the word where you make new minerals like that huge subway garnet within here. Um, you're left with those that are now at the surface. So just like you said, John, it's been uncovered. And these are kind of the clues that old mountain ranges existed in the past. Because eventually, along the East Coast, these mountain ranges are going to be flattened down into nothing, right? So how do you know there were ever mountain ranges in a place before? And it's the types of rocks that they leave behind, right? To get this neocrystallization, you have to have really high pressure to make a garnet the size of almost a volleyball, right? That's an incredible amount of pressure. How can you get that? Because on the eastern coast of the U.S., you were continually, through the last 500 million years, um, there's been, you know, three major, four, if you go back later than that, four major orogenic episodes. We made Pangaea was one of them, but there's been other ones, the Tucanian, orogeny, right, the Alleghenian, all these different land masses that come into the East Coast and create mountain ranges. Then they erode away. Then another landmass comes in and you create, you relift all this stuff up again. And all of those different episodes are recorded in both the structure and the chemistry of the rocks, which is super neat. Right. Well, and then to make it even more complicated, a few million years ago, most of North America was in a totally different state, right? <laughs> a little chilly. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It was all covered. You know, we had a couple thousand feet of ice uh, over this area. And that is obviously, we've talked about glacial processes before, uh, but that's transporting, they call them drop stones, but some of them are house sized. Yes. <laughs> uh, from places like Wisconsin uh, eastward. Mm hmm. Yeah. And it's burying the metamorphic rock under glacial material of different depths. And mm -hmm. so you can find the bedrock, the metamorphic rock, like in Times Square, it's maybe 10, 20 feet down. Yeah. 
Uh, if you were to Greenwich Village, it's closer to 300 feet down. Mm-hmm. Which, and this is what I talk about in class generally, because all that sediment that's trapped in the glacier, and as the glacier melts and moves away, it just, like, blops it out, right? And that's what we call moraines. In the case of these big continental ice sheets, you get ground moraines. And it's just a bunch of unconsolidated, very wide range in grain size here. Just like you said, house to basically pulverized flower looking rock. And it's just that. Hundreds of feet of that. And then what do we do? We build cities on top of it out here. Right, but if you notice, downtown and midtown are where most of the taller buildings are, and that's where you've got tens of feet. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not a lot. But all of Long Island is itself a moraine, which is incredible to me. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, that's an incredible engineering feat you have to get over is building on this unconsolidated sediment just blobs of it everywhere right but luckily i mean it's stuff sedimentologists call rock but i don't really know <laughs> it's not cemented together <laughs> look quaternary <laughs> geologists are their own people okay i know a lot of them so i'll be nice but that's all i'll say right now <laughs> yeah um i'm much more interested in stuff that's seen some things not these piles of sediment <laughs> But it's like you can look at these these maps of um, the last ice ages, right? We had numerous ice sheet growth and retreat phases during the Pleistocene. And you can see how that area, it's like Martha's Vineyard and then down through Long Island, how that all is part of a glacial moraine. It's very, very interesting to have these very, very young deposits on top of these very, very old with nothing in between. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and some other, so you mentioned Central Park where you can go see in some nice glacial striations. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's in the Manhattan schist. Mm-hmm. So that's exposed at the surface. That's pretty cool. Uh, what I always like though, is so if you go to Riverside Park or down by Fort Triton, uh, or not Triton, Tryon, there's some dips in the topography. Okay. That most people probably don't think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in geology, when you see a sudden dip in topography and kind of a linear-looking trend generally you think that's probably a fault in this case you're right Mm. so So there are three big faults in the new york city metro area and i was going to say it's fine to build on top of a moraine because you're on what is now a passive continental margin but i guess not (laughs) yep so there's the moss fault uh, which is in the Bronx, 
And then in Upper Manhattan, there's 125th Street and the Dickman Street Faults. <laughs> I love it that there's a 125th Street Fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that sounds like a nightclub. <laughs> but I guarantee you a lot of this stuff is known from trying to put utility services in. Oh, boy. Yeah. I bet you're right. Because mm. what do they do? They dig tunnels for subways. They do tunnels for electric, gas, steam, water, sewer. And that's all got to be, especially in the downtown Midtown area, in Bedrock. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I, is When were they last active? Like, did you find anything about earthquakes I mean, there? Long, not in human times. Okay. Uh, these would definitely be ancient, dormant faults. Because, again, now, I mean, there's got to be lots of faults. We had numerous mountain ranges built in this area, but now passive continental margin. I read once, and I don't, I don't recall where, but it was some study, I think it was a very back of the envelope sort of study, which doesn't make it wrong, about where the safest place to live is based on catastrophes, like weather and geological catastrophes. And it was Connecticut. Huh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? Because I would think that all those earthquakes, or not earthquakes, hurricanes that make their way up the East Coast. But I guess Connecticut... It's just far enough in that, yeah, safe yeah. safe place, right? Not very seismologically active or anything like that. Huh. Mm -hmm. So one other interesting tidbit I found. So there, there's lots of lists online of like every glacial erratic that you can go find. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and those are, those are the big weird ones, right? So why are they called erratics? Right, they're not supposed to be there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're like some some field in Wisconsin got plucked up this piece of, you know, lime, Mississippian limestone, and now it's in Central Park. Yeah. If you go to Prospect Park, there's actually a thing called Boulder Bridge, which is a glacial erratic. That's fun. Um, but you were talking about moraines and building on them. Do you know what one of the best things that you can do in a moraine is for a city and there's a lot of them in the moraines in new york put a well no sort of okay um, what that's where you want to put your cemetery Ooh. why because <laughs> you can get deep enough oh okay there you go <laughs> um so yeah um the, let's see, Greenwood Cemetery, Prospect Park, that whole area. Uh, there's cemeteries all along. Uh, let's see, Bay Ridge, Greenwood Heights, Windsor Terrace, Prospect Heights. Notice all the heights in here. These are all on that moraine, and there's a lot of cemeteries in this little green band that's running across New York. <laughs> that's interesting. All the heights. Yeah, makes sense, right? Everything yep. else has been polished down to nothingness, and it's really hard. Or to... hills. So, yeah, Crown mm -hmm. Heights, Highland Park, yeah. Cypress Hills, Ridgewood, Forest. Like, almost every one of these neighborhoods in this Terminal Moraine strip has either hill, high, or heights. 
<laughs> or Terrace and <laughs> See, look at that. Look at geology informing cultural naming, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess it would be very hard to dig a six-foot hole in the Fordham nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you only got six feet of glacial erratic stuff and then you hit solid nice, better it's st- not a great spot to bury somebody. Yeah, better stick some dead bodies in where you can. Oh, man. Hmm, that's very... See, geology informs many things about where we live that we don't even think about. Yeah, because, you know, if your city, if you've got a neighborhood name, now, unless it's in Oklahoma, I'm sure there are things called Prospect Heights. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Which Mm -hmm. is completely bogus. Yeah. (laughs) But in a lot of places, yeah, these names actually do come from something that Mm -hmm. is, in the end, influenced by topography and geography, which we all know is really just the current expression of geology. Mm -hmm. That is right. Interesting. Now it makes me want to, well, I'm going back to New York City in March, so now I'm definitely going to hit some of these places and take some glacial erratic pictures. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So actually staying in the same vein, or shall we say the same moraine? Oh. (laughs) It's a stretch, but... <laughs> it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show, Fun Paper Friday. Yay! So I was trying to I was trying to lead you there with that taking pictures part too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So this is from listener Xavier, and it's an article of about finding an eighty-five-year-old cache of camera equipment that was left on a Canadian glacier in nineteen thirty-seven. So cool, the pictures of this and that they found it. Um, yeah, so this makes total sense, right? This guy was out exploring this glacier. In this case, the aerial photographer and cartographer, Bradford Washburn. Have you heard of this guy before? I had not until this article. No, I hadn't either. Yeah. Um, he was out on this glacier in the Yukon got into some trouble, had to leave behind a ton of his gear, including a whole bunch of cameras. And obviously that was well documented where he left it and that he left it in the first place. And what better excuse to go snowboarding than to go look for this 80 something year old stash of cameras. (laughs) Yeah. So a, a big mountain professional skier named Griffin Post set it on this three-week expedition to try to find this stuff. And he contacted a glaciologist from the University of Ottawa who helped him try to take a guess at where, in the last 80-something years of movement, this equipment would have ended up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was is a trick. Yes. It's super cool about this too, is because they spent a long time looking and they weren't finding anything. And then the glaciologist said, you know, the specific glacier they're on Walsh glacier 
is not one that's just flowing at this constant rate, right? These alpine glaciers move like rivers, but really slow. It does a thing called surging. And it's yeah. exactly what it sounds like, right? Like it's gonna move a little bit faster sometimes. And that was the key to finding the cameras. Yeah, so once they did that, they decided that it was probably many miles, like 14, 15 miles from where it had originally been dropped off, which was three or four miles from their original estimate. Yeah. So just because of this weird surging in the past 85 years, every so often it goes that much faster, it wound up like four miles further away than they would have expected. Or it had, you know, advanced four more miles than they had expected, which is, that's a lot of ice movement in 85 years. 20,000 something feet. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, some of these pictures are amazing, though, of what they recovered, and they're even hoping to be able to develop some of the film. Right, and so they found this back in May. And, of course, trying to curate this is very difficult. It's been exposed to the elements for 80 years. You have to be very careful as you're handling it and trying to disassemble it and so on. Uh but they did get several cameras. Yep, they're hoping to develop the film out of it. Uh, what I didn't find a lot of detail on is like, what was the search process? It says they're just snowboarding around looking. But you know it's going to be buried. Right. Like, was it a rise in the topography? Uh, I, I just, I'm very curious what the actual, I, I found pictures of mm -hmm. them digging things out. But like, what was the original state when they stopped snowboarding and said, I think I want to dig here. Right. Uh-huh. Exactly. Like, they oh, have... Oh, it's just more of a, a hole situation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they had pictures um, from Bradford Washburn's expedition. Like, he didn't abandon everything. And I thought that was kind of neat to take the pictures from that expedition and try to match it up to the topography today, because in 85 years, I mean, I remember I've revisited some of my sites from my dissertation, which was not even 10 years ago, and they look so different. Oh, yeah. So I can't imagine on the very dynamic surface of a glacier what that means. So. I mean, I remember going with you to try to get uh, some samples from a site that had probably only been, at that point, what, four years? Yeah. Uh huh. Since you had been there, and yeah, totally. I mean, we found it, but it, it took a little bit. Exactly, and it's like, yeah. Not only does your mind change things, but it's like vegetation and stuff is very dynamic, right? Just because this is a big hunk of ice, move fourteen miles. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this one picture of them taking out this aerial camera, like it looks like it's buried pretty good you know so is it just a mound of equipment but that's very that's very interesting and they've used this same technique to find bodies of mountaineers as well all over the place you know they just found um was it mallory that they found mm -hmm. and they found his camera because supposedly he may have summited Everest, you know, and they found his camera when they found his body. I don't think that they were able to 
actually get anything off of that though. I'm not sure. We'll have to we'll have to revisit that in a fun paper. Yeah, and I mean, even if they don't get the film developed, to me, it's just incredible to find something that's been abandoned for that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in, it's not like it's in working order, but at least in recognizable order. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. So thanks, Xavier, for sending that in. Of course, it will be linked, and you can go look at all the photos in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But if you would like to send your 80-something-year-old photos in for us to take a look at, (laughs) Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you may do so. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.